0: Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. On this episode of Career Crashers, I am joined, uh, once again, TK has been with us before, by TK Coleman. TK is the Director of Entrepreneurial Education at the Foundation for Economic Education. He's also recently featured in a Netflix series on minimalism. He is a prolific speaker, writer, interviewer, and interviewee. His revolution of one project is phenomenal. I can never keep up with all the stuff TK is doing. So TK, it's good to have you back, man. He's also my very good friend, I should mention.
1: Next time, I want you to introduce me as the best two-way podcaster in the game. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like that. The best two-way podcaster in the game. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm more of like a stretch four guy myself. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that would mean. T- TK, man, I, I wanted to bring you, bring you on today. We've talked mm-hmm. in the past um, and I'll put some links up. We've had some episodes where you've kind of walked through your own career journey, all the different aspects mm-hmm. of your career. But there's one element in particular that I want to dive into a little bit today, which yeah. is your transition from food service, from being a waiter, a bartender, to the world of startups, and kind of from the brick and mortar economy on the ground, face-to-face with people, to the digital economy, working on software tools and platforms and helping to build companies. And the reason I want to, I want to talk about this is because right now, something like 25 to 30 of restaurants are like going out of business, maybe forever. Even more are temporarily shut down. So lots of people who are in that early career stage where it's like, hey, I need to stack up some money, kind of figure out what I'm going to do next. Maybe I just graduated. Maybe I'm in between school, whatever. I'm going to go get a job as a waiter, waitress, barista. And I've met several who are very, very good at their jobs. Uh, You can tell when they serve you. And I know have a lot of transferable skills, but many people in that position, now they're facing a very tough economy. And I think it's more relevant than ever to help help people realize what else they can, their potential, right? The value that they have from roles like that, people often assume there's nothing that they have to offer, like working at a tech company, for example. And you and I know that's nothing could be further from the truth. So that's the setup. I'm going to start right in. Can you tell me like a couple of things, sort of concrete things that you gained in your job, working at various restaurants and things, bartending and waiting, that immediately brought value to the world of startups and some of the more entrepreneurial tech companies you worked at after that?
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you were describing it earlier, I was going to say, you know what? There really was no transition. Being a server and working in a startup The only difference is the money's better once you go to a startup. But then I realized that's not entirely true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. There were some weekends where you were probably pulling in tips well above what you got. (laughs) to
1: You you make a lot of good money as a server when you do your job well. That's a really underestimated part of things. But really, almost everything you do. So I'll I'll just give you one. One of the first things I learned is one of my managers told me, he says, you're not an order taker. You're an experienced consultant. You are here to create a certain kind of experience for your customer. And that begins with building rapport, building trust, getting them to open up to you, and then figuring out how you can sell them something that they don't even know they need, but then they're going to thank you for it later. You, you got a group, group of people that are sitting there, complete strangers, maybe like a family of five. You walk up to them. They have no idea who you are. They're just staring at you. You got to introduce yourself to them. You got to say something to make them smile or laugh. You've got to ask them some questions and and get someone there to tell you that the real reason they're out tonight is because it's their daughter's birthday. And, and And that gives you an idea of so many other things that you can suggest to them. Oh, okay. Well, here's something that you may want to take a look at. Here's a section on our menu. Here are a couple of things I can do to make your experience better. You've got to look for those opportunities, right? Because that's how you get not only the great tips, but that's how you get the repeat guests. That's how you get the people that come to the restaurant just for you. And they say, I want to sit in his section. And, and your section becomes a little business that you build. You go from being an order taker or a guy that shows up to his job to like, okay, Applebee's or, or Papa Doe or Gulfstream or, uh, you know, uh, Olive Garden, Th- this is the location, but my business is section five. I own section five. And today I, I know I got people coming in that are going to be asking to sit in section five. And even if this restaurant's not busy it's going to be booming in my section because I approach it entrepreneurially as this experienced consultant who's here to connect with my customers at a high level. That was probably one of the most important lessons I learned from serving because it's transferable with what you do at startups. When you work at a startup, you have to think about your job as something that cannot possibly be exhaustively captured by the description. right? There are always valuable things that need to be done that can't be given to you in the form of mandatory requirements. And so you have to think about, about greatness, about excellence, as something that isn't mandatory, as something that cannot, by its very nature, be, be given to you as an explicit instruction. Uh, because there's always room to surprise people with, with creativity, um, you know, and personality in your job. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. One, one thing you said when you, when you were kind of starting on your description of your job as a, as a waiter, is first you got to understand your customer a little bit, learn a little bit about them. Are they in a hurry? Why are they there? What's the context? What, and, and then you have to kind of deduce, like, what is it that they're trying to get? Do they want maximum fun and celebration? Do they want maximum bang for their buck? Like, what's the mood they're in? What's their, do they want the fastest lunch that tastes good? Do they want a new flavor no one's ever, you know, had? Are they in an adventurous mood? And so you kind of learn about their needs. And then I love how you said, sell them something they weren't going to buy on their own, but will thank you for later. And I think that's so key because so many people, and this is, there's such a huge demand for people to do any kind of sales-related work. Sales and customer success, and I think both of those on the front line of most companies are actually pretty similar, trying to make sure customers are happy and, and responding to their complaints, as well as trying to sell them and sell them doesn't mean force something down their throat and extract money from them in some negative sum game right that never that doesn't help because if they walk away angry that you bilked them out of $20 right. that's bad for your business sell them means find a way to get them to engage in your product because they didn't know how much they would love it right they didn't know ahead of time it's your job to help them take that chance and then they'll thank you later and so that aspect of being a waiter, I'd love to hear you just riff on how that played out. You know, you, and you got really good at this. I know you did. You were great at getting people to try the, you know, fudge sundae or try the daiquiri or whatever it was. And they would thank you later. They'd be like, it was really good. That was fun. How did that skill, the skill and the mindset behind it where you don't see sales as an exploitative process if you do it right. How did that translate specifically? And like, can you think of some context you were in when you kind of moved into the startup that you were founding and then then later with Praxis, the startup that you and I were founding, where that skill kind of really translated?
1: Yeah, so I look at sales as the process of making surprisingly pleasant recommendations. And if you think about this in the context of everyday life, we always enjoy our experiences more when someone points out some cool thing we can do that we never knew about. It wasn't in the brochure, it wasn't on the map. You know, so maybe you take your, your, your family to the movies or you take your family to a botanical garden, what, an amusement park, whatever it is you do. If someone says, oh, while you're over that way, you should check out this restaurant. Or did you know about this ride? You should check it out. Or there's a really cool art gallery that's just across the street, no one knows about it. Anytime someone gives you one of those little best kept secrets, it's why when we travel, we always want to, to interact with the locals Can tell us those things that aren't on the website. Because when someone can point to something we didn't think of that's surprisingly pleasant, we want to reward them for it. We feel really good about our experience. And that's really what sales is about. It's about understanding that your customer doesn't work at your job, they don't know all the nuances of what can be done with these services and products. And so they want to be sold in the sense that they want someone who knows more than them to show them how to use what they're looking at in a way that's more valuable than they possibly imagine. So one very common way that you do this in restaurants, and then I'll relate it to startups, is you show people how to use the menu. When people come to a restaurant, there are always ways you can mix and match and modify the things on a menu that are not obvious because you can't afford to spell all those things out in a limited amount of space. But a good kitchen can do just about anything. So if you have allergies, if there's something on a sandwich that you don't like, If they're, you know, if you're struggling between two types of things. So you'd always see one person at the table that's just like taking a little bit longer than everyone else. And and, and when you learn how to read the table, you realize that this is probably because the person sees about three things on a menu that they like and they're conflicted. Everyone else at the table is annoyed and they're pressuring them. You don't want this person to just pick something really fast to make everyone else at the table happy you want them to be happy for themselves. And
0: by the way, I'm the one pressuring that person all the time. When I'm, when I'm out to eat. <laughs> Come on, let's
1: go. Yeah. So when you see something like that, you want to shine a spotlight on it and ask that person if you can answer any questions for them, or if they're struggling between a couple of different things. When they tell you that, you, you can either point to them what's maybe most popular among your other customers or what's unique to that restaurant that you can't get anywhere else. Like, okay, our burgers are really good, but you can get a good burger anywhere. Here's what's really awesome. Like our Carolina style barbecue ribs are like the best and the only place in town where you can get something like that. Or you can say, well, if you, if you like that chicken salad, then that's actually the same as this dish here. And what you can do is you can kind of combine this element. You can add that as a side, whatever it may be. And then they say, oh, wow, that's really awesome. And and that's really selling because they don't care that it costs them $2 more or that one dish is more expensive than the other. They want to be happy and you just show them how to use the menu. You just use your expertise to do that. So in startups, I'll use Praxis as an example. We spent many years working on that together. When participants are going through the program, they may have a curriculum that they go through. They may have different projects that they're working on there's always a way that they can use the resources given to them to get more value out of the program that go beyond the general introductory level instructions that we provide, right? And so when I'm in one-on-one coaching sessions with participants, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, like, what are they struggling with? What are the parts of the program that they don't like? And when they tell you, instead of looking at that as something that's bad, you can say, oh, okay, if you don't like that, then that's because you're looking for more of this, what if you combine this or that? You mean I can do that? You mean I'm not breaking the rules? You mean that's possible? Every job has things like that, but you have to respect your expertise enough to not see your job as just, oh, I'm going to get out of my customer's way. You know, your customer doesn't know everything about what they want. That's why they're coming there because they're, they're looking for someone to help them. And when you can do that with class and in and, and a spirit of non-desperation, Um, you'll almost always enhance their experience, you know?
0: Yeah, I like the way you talked about sales. Like, it's almost like you could boil it down and say sales is about solving information asymmetries where it's like, you're not convincing someone to want something they didn't want against their will or or strong-arming someone. They have a goal that they want, but they don't have the information to realize the best way to get there. You have access to more information because you're in it all day and you know the product really well. And you can help talk them through, ask them questions to figure out once they have the right information, can your product solve their problem? And, uh, you know, the answer is often yes. Sometimes it's no. But I, I, think that's, I think that's, you know, letting people see, hey, have you ever been a waiter or a bartender and somebody's not sure on the menu and you help them work through that. And then they say, hey, thanks. That was a great recommendation. That moment, that's the same experience of working in sales uh, at, a, at a startup or uh, customer success or something like that. Yeah. I really, I really like that. What would you say? Okay, so, you know, for you, you you go and you get all these great experiences as a as a waiter and, and a bartender. And as we said, you know, you kind of got good at it, really worked at it and and perfected your craft and took pride in it, which I think is important. You didn't look down at it as menial work that's, you know, something to be ashamed of. How did you translate that skill into something that could catch the attention of people in unrelated fields? Because because as people often say. Okay, well, my work, my resume just says, and of course, this is Crash, so we say burn your resume anyway, send something better. But my work history says, waiter at Applebee's, why would anyone look at that and say, oh, this is the person we should hire for this next, you know, operations associate at our startup? How, what is it, what are some good ways you yourself have used or you've seen others used? to make the connection for that person that's doing the hiring so, so that they don't have to guess. Well, maybe that's relevant, maybe not. To, to help them see why those skills translate um, in a direct way.
1: You know, it's funny. If, if I were competing with someone for a job and I found out that the person I'm competing with has never worked at a restaurant before, my confidence would immediately go through the roof. I would feel like, oh my gosh, this person is completely out of their league. You know, um, I would be so excited to know that. It's never been difficult for me to see the connection there. So if you worked at a restaurant, the first thing I want to say to anyone that's listening or you're considering doing it, there are so many great reasons to have pride in this. It's one of the hardest but most rewarding jobs you can possibly work. So in terms of relevance, first, no matter what job you work in, you're going to have to have the ability to harmoniously coexist and build rapport with a diverse range of personality types. In a restaurant, your section is getting reset every 45 minutes. Every 45 minutes, you are walking up to three to five entirely new tables of completely different personalities than the last group of people you got along with. And they're all going through completely different things. And you've got to find a way to build rapport. I served a table and and like all in one night, I served a table where there's a, a young lady literally crying because she's getting married the next day and she's having doubts. There's a couple in my section that is in a fight with each, with each other and it's completely obvious that they just got off on the wrong foot and they're, and they're in a very tense moment and I got to deal with that. There's a family, they're all really hungry and they're in a rush and they're just ready to go and they want to get in and out as fast as possible. The kids are just tearing the table apart. You get all these different kinds of things going on and you have to not only be able to multitask, you've got to be able to maintain your composure. You've got to be able to manage whatever is going on inside of you. And you've got to find a genuine, authentic way to connect to all these different personality types and make them all feel like you are not just an order taker, but you are a friend and you are there. And look, I don't know anything about who you should marry, but for the next hour, while you're in this restaurant with me, we're going to feel good and we're going to have a good time. Okay. And you're going to feel a lot better about whatever it is you decide to do because you hung out in this space. This is going to be a, a safe space. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't laugh. The phrase, but I said, the
0: phrase safe space just triggered you to, to laughter. <laughs>
1: right. That, that phrase isn't, doesn't create a, a, a safe space for me. I feel like that is such a useful thing in any startup, because whether it's coworkers or people that you're working for, or customers that you have to, to interact with or serve, you want to you want to be able to convince people that you've got the ability to get along with anyone. I, I mean, you, you know this because I've told you so many of the funny stories. I had a family that came in and I hit it off with them so well. They were like, all right, man, we're going to make you a NASCAR fan and we're going to make you come to a NASCAR <laughs> event with us. Right. And, and, and I'm not interested in that kind of stuff at all. But it's like, you've got to be able to to pull from that, from that side of you. You've got to develop that side of you. You've got to be able to talk about all kinds of things that you might not normally be interested in, in order to connect with your customers. Uh, Another thing too, is that when you serve, it's kind of like an acting job because you learn how to play a role. You, You get paid to do things like smile, be generous and kind and respectful to people. You get paid to walk around with energy and enthusiasm. You get paid to stand up tall and to speak so that people can hear you. You get paid to ask for help in a way that is both authoritative and respectful. And you have to be on, even when internally, you've got all sorts of things going on that are inconsistent with that. Most people in the world are not capable of doing that, and they convince themselves that to do that would make them inauthentic and fake, so they don't even use that ability when they have it. But people who have worked server jobs before... They know how to flip the switch on. You could be having the worst day of your life, but you can walk into a room and you can say, look, I feel like crap, but I'm here to play a role. I'm here to be good to people. I'm here to take care of people. And I'm going to do that. And whatever I've got going on, I'll deal with that when the job's over. But for now, I'm going to walk tall. I'm going to speak with confidence. I'm going to dress you with respect and generosity. And everybody's going to have a good time because I am choosing to be the life of the party, even if internally I feel like hell. I don't, I don't know that many people. I know maybe like a handful of people that can do that in any area of life, you know?
0: We talk all the time about the two things needed to succeed in, in your career are skills and signal, you know, your, your, what you can do for people and your ability to prove that to them. And you, you walked me through all the examples of what waiter or waitress or bartending skills What those mean outside of that, how those translate into value so that the skill you can create for people, but the signal component, how do you prove that to people? So you proved it to me five or six times in this conversation, any one of those stories, the way that you described what you did and the skills you needed to navigate that would be impressive to me as a hiring manager. If I got, if you had that five minutes or that two Mm. minutes to describe it to me, but how do you get to that point? If I receive emails from multiple candidates for a role. What do you recommend that someone who has those skills that they've developed as a waiter or waitress, what do you recommend that they send to convince a hiring manager as quickly as possible of the value of those skills so that they don't just look at worked here for a year, but that they can somehow convey to them why working there for a year makes them a good fit for this new role? Have you do you have some examples of people who've done that effectively? Sort of package that experience up in a really nice, digestible way.
1: Like, like like actual pieces of data that you can put. Yeah, like into uh, that video.
0: yeah, like things that, that people have sent, um, you know, to a hiring manager or with a job application or whatever that have that have said, you know, mm-hmm. here's me sort of connecting the dots for you and and showing you those skills, just like you did verbally here. If you didn't have that chance, if you got one email. What's a good way to to send to, to convey those skills that, that you've obtained in the, in the wait service?
1: So one thing that every server gets, and almost no one thinks about this within the context of developing their career, is you get your receipts at the end of the night that show you your sales. Right? And, and, and like this is huge. Most people just focus on the tips, but you want to focus on your sales because like, even if you kind of get like standard tips, if your sales are really high because you're making great recommendations and getting a lot of repeat guests and so on, then these are numbers that you can actually produce. And, and there are ways where you can find out this information. Again, a lot of servers don't care about it, but you can find out the information in terms of where do you rank at the restaurant you work at in terms of sales. and, and you so, can even So something
0: like, uh, you know, server <clears throat> at, you know, Applebee's during my shift, uh, sales in my section were five percent higher than average for the restaurant as a whole, or something like that. Um, that's a that's a yeah, really it's interesting it's, tangible thing that I'd be curious. I'd want to know more about, which is which is the goal of sending a, a an initial you know email application is make them want to know more.
1: Yeah, and it's a great differentiator too because you can not only give that information, but then you can point out that most people who work at restaurants would not be capable of telling you what their answer was if you were to ask them. So you can show them not only value that you get out of a server, but you can differentiate yourself from other servers and signal just how detailed you are uh, and, and value creation driven you are in the way you approach your work. You can also get specific with these numbers and not only report like your sales, but you can identify what areas are most important to the restaurant, like specials or liquor, things like that. And you can indicate your percentages in those areas. Another thing you can do, This feels high risky when you don't have high rapport with your customers, but it's something I could do pretty easily. Get your customers to talk about you. Get your customers to put in writing how much they love you and how much they come to the restaurant because of you. And if you've got regulars that come in, you can ask them for that kind of stuff and they'll do it for you. I've had customers really show up for me very strongly when it comes to things like that. A third thing is the whole idea of working out loud or documenting what you do also applies to working as a server. And there are all kinds of interesting experiences and challenges that servers have. There's no reason why you can't make a video, you can't make a podcast where you're talking about your tips on how to be a great server. Don't let the author of Waiter Rant be the only person out there that's talking about his experiences in an interesting or entertaining way. There's a market for that. And if you put that kind of material out there, people will see that you're not only the kind of person who does their job well, But you're also the kind of person that can train others to do what you do. And that's going to be valuable to any employer. Those are three signals off the top of my head.
0: Man, I love that. And and even if, you know, that third one, even if you just make a two minute video or write a two paragraph blog post just for that job application that says, you know, three things I learned working at Chick fil A that are relevant to customer success at your company, that alone, it just signals that you're thinking about your work as more than just the tasks you carried out, that you have a level of abstraction. Like you said, the fact that you just, that you even looked up how much sales you do compared to other people, that fact alone sets you apart. Even if your numbers aren't great, most people don't even do that. So I'm going to boil down. You gave three different types of signals you could send. One is quantitative. Can you find any hard data, percentage of tips? uh, Maybe it's I have a perfect track record. I've never been late, or I've only been late twice in a year. Uh, you know, I've never missed a day, or you know, number of uh, mistaken orders you've had, or whatever. There's a lot of quantitative things. If you can pull up anything like that, that's a great signal. The second one you gave was a endorsement from a third party, so customers, managers, coworkers. If they can say something about your work, and then the third one is qualitative, your own reflections on, or your own sharing of your learnings and your skills from that. And I think a lot of people feel like it's bragging or something or it's just weird or redundant, but it's really not because when if I look at a bullet point on your LinkedIn profile or whatever that just says, you know, six months of work as a server at the Olive Garden, that could mean a thousand and one things. But if you add just one data point to that, you send me a short uh, video or a short little essay or something that says, hey, here's three things I learned, you know, as a waiter, that ability to self-reflect is going to stand out. Or if you say, here's a little data about my waiter, or you get one of your customers, my number one customer that came to Olive Garden every Friday, here's a quote from them. Like instantly you go from, I can't distinguish you from everyone else to someone that I remember. And I'm curious and I want to learn more. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't seem that big. And people are scared to do it because they think it's not that impressive. Well, it's not that impressive to have a customer just say, I like this guy, he was good. Or my tips were 2% higher than everybody else's. It's not about how impressive it is. The act of doing it alone, I think is what's like a standout. Would you agree?
1: I totally agree. And, And you've got to be very careful about equating what's impressive with what's impressive to you. And you've got to understand that, you know, if you're a decent human being, you're probably not going to be impressive to yourself very often. (laughs) And and so what that means- What are you trying
0: to say? I'm not a decent
1: human being? And and so that means you're probably not the best judge of how much your work is, is impacting people. And so this is actually a good exercise for you because it's good to be aware of how things you put out there that are just like average, this is just what I do, how much that might change other people's lives. I mean, you and I have talked about this where where you've expressed like you'll write a blog post and and you're so excited about it. Like, you know what? If I die, TK, show the world this piece. And no one reads that one. And then you'll write something else like, well, I got to get a blog done today because I promised I'll do one every day. And you do it, you're like, this is the worst thing I've ever written. And you'll get 20 emails being like, Isaac, you changed my life with that one paragraph blog post so you just never know. So don't use how excited you felt when you did that job or how impressed you are with yourself as the greatest metric, you know? Uh, it actually helps you become more objective in your thinking for better and for worse. All
0: right man, I'm going to I'm going to bring it home and let you take the floor to to wrap this up with some higher level thoughts because I think you are a master of I don't I don't want to say anything like optimism, positive thinking because that sounds like it's just sort of baseless or fluffy. I think you were a master of helping people unearth within themselves a mindset, uh, a, a frame for reality that's true, that's not Pollyanna-ish or utopian, that's true, but that's empowering instead of disempowering. So let's take with, with that specific person in mind, somebody who maybe was a waiter doing a good job, was kind of doing it for a while, waiting to see what was going to come next in their career. They just lost their job because of lockdowns and all this stuff. What's a sort of high-level message or thought that you wanna, you wanna wrap us up with for that person?
1: There, there, there's a moment in the movie, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, where this all American athlete who was living the dream on his way to a professional career has this tragic motorcycle accident, breaks his leg. And, uh, and, and the odds are, are likely that he'll never get a chance to do that again. And One day he's talking with this mentor and in a moment of frustration, he says, how am I supposed to have any kind of optimism when I can't do what I love? And he says, when a true warrior can't do what they love, they always find a way to discover the love in what they do. What I would say to anybody who's going through a hard time where maybe you got laid off, maybe you don't feel like you have any opportunities right now is number one, there is always something you can do to create value for other human beings in all, at all times, at all times. Now, it may not be something that anyone is ready to pay you for right now. It may not be something that has a fancy title attached to it, but there is always something you can do in any environment to create value for other human beings. Two, the dignity to be found in what you do has to be something that comes from you. And you can take any job and you can dignify it. Think about when you go to the movies. Sometimes the person that you like the most isn't the person that was billed as the star. It's the person who just brought some personality to their role, even though they only had like a few lines, or even though they were just a sidekick. That's because it's what you bring to the role. It's not how many lines you get. It's not a, It's not about if you were on the billboard or the lead character. You can do that with your job. You can bring personality and dignity to your job. And if you do those first two things, you'll often find that the world is willing to create opportunities for you because... As the saying goes, Steve Martin, be so good that they can't ignore you. That's possible. You can actually be so good and so compelling that people have to talk about you. When they watch what you do, when they listen to you, when they observe you, they can't help but say, hey, man, you need to meet my friend or you need to go listen to this guy. And and we've all done that, right? How many times have you watched a show or listened to a podcast and you were like, okay, that was cool. That was cool. It wasn't bad. It was good. And how many times have you listened to something or watched something and you couldn't shut up about it? You had to pick up the phone and call someone and be like, hey, stop what you're doing on our friendship. Now don't do this like me, because I do this with everything I read to Isaac. I say, on our friendship, read this book. And then he hates it. And I, I, I keep doing the same thing. But but that's a real thing. And it's possible to be that way. So you can always do something to create value no matter what. Two, the dignity in what you do comes from you. And three, if you do something. With a sufficient amount of creativity, enthusiasm, and self-ownership, you can and will become too good for other people to ignore. Opportunity is something that's
0: created. You don't wait on it. TK, my man, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, bro. Like what you hear? Go to Crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at Isaac at Crash.co.